And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode 375. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. Welcome to the show. And before we get started this week, I just want to offer a tribute to one of the greats who we lost on June 25th, that being Joe Sinnott. And as you all know, I've, I've spoken a lot about Joe Sinnott on this show. He's one of the very best comic inkers, if not the greatest comics inker of all time. He had a long run with Jack Kirby on Fantastic Four. In fact, he was the main inker on Fantastic Four, not just during the Jack Kirby era, which he took over. I mean, he wasn't there from the very beginning, but after Chick Stone left Marvel, he kind of took over that mantle of the regular FF inker and inked all of the classic Lee Kirby era Fantastic Four what we really identify with as the classically Kirby era, including the Galactus trilogy and beyond. But he stayed as the regular inker of FF for years after Kirby left the book. And, you know, he had a truly impressive run on Fantastic Four. As you all know, one of the things I do now, instead of spending money on comic books, is I collect original art. And one of the pieces that is the very jewel of my collection of original art is a Jack Kirby, Joe Sinnott, Fantastic Four page. So it has that personal effect on me too, having that, that I can hold in my hands, something that, that Sinnott and Kirby and Lee actually, they touched it, they put their hands on it. There's, some, there's somebody's handprint even on the page. Uh, you know, who's, I don't know. You know, so it has a personal touch for me as well. Now, he also has very strong connections to Thor and the books that we've been covering, starting way back in the journey into mystery days. I mean, I believe issue number 90 or 91, he was there. And uh, he did penciling and inking both on those books. And as I said at the time, when we were covering those issues way, way back and, you know, back when this show was in the teens, the work that he was doing on Journey into Mystery at that time was better than the work that Kirby was doing in Journey into Mystery during that time. So, you know, Thor fans have a lot of Joe Sinnott work to enjoy, and that includes a lot of issues that we haven't even covered yet. His work on, on Thor included a, a particularly impressive run in the mid-1970s, which we haven't gotten to yet, where he was inking John Buscema. And I remember those issues, I mean, because those were my first issues of Thor, that they were amazing. The artwork always looked fantastic. And indeed, Sinnott was one of those inkers who made every penciler he worked on look amazing. He made Kirby look amazing. No one will ever surpass Sinnott on his work with Kirby Crackle. He did the best Kirby Crackle in the business. The work that he did 
with John Buscema on Thor, always amazing. And the work he did on the Fantastic Four after Kirby left, and including people like Rich Buckler and George Perez and John Byrne. He made all of those pencilers, uh, they just they made their artwork just pop off the page. He was a real company man. You know, people tried to get him to work for their companies. DC tried to get him away from Marvel. And Stan wouldn't allow it. Stan Lee knew the value of Joe Sinnott. And he, he told Joe, you whatever they pay you over at DC, I will pay you more to stay here at Marvel. And Joe, being the dutiful company man, he stayed at Marvel for his whole career. I can't think of any inking job that he might have done for any other comic book company because Joe liked working with the Marvel characters. He liked working with the Marvel management. He was a company man through and through. Now, the wisdom of that to some people, well, maybe they find that suspect. But I think that Joe's work has always spoken for itself. And in the words of many people, but I think most recently in a comment from uh, one of our listeners, Chris Bendorf, he was the great that made the greats great. And I find it really hard to argue with that. Unfortunately, I never had the pleasure of meeting Joe Sinnott myself. I've met a lot of comics people over the years at conventions and so forth, but Joe was not one of the ones that I ever really had the pleasure of meeting. He seemed to stick pretty much to conventions in the New York City area. And I know people on Facebook and elsewhere who did know him who did interact with him at conventions and spoke of a lovely, gracious, polite, kind man. And makes me wish that I really had had the chance to meet him in person. I you know, chickened out a couple of times trying to, to get him to come on the show. And knowing that his health wasn't the best and that his, his son kind of managed his career for me and was a little bit protective, I, I, I never really had the courage to try to go through with it. And, and I do regret that now. But, you know, from, from all accounts, he was just a, a kind, gracious man, and, and he'll be missed. You know, rest in peace, Joe Sinnott. All right, so without any further ado, we do have an issue of Thor to cover. So let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you behold. And this week we are looking at the Mighty Thor number 404. June 1989 was the cover date. 75 cents is the cover price. That's 95 cents in Canada and 50p in the UK. Cover art is by Ron Friends and Joe Sinnott. Shows Thor and Balder in a tunnel underground, apparently, and they are looking around. I think this is tied in with the subplot we had last issue of that green glob burrowing into the underside of, uh, of Asgard. And we have a very familiar-looking silhouette in a tunnel next to the tunnel that they're in, showing an armored character with sort of bat-like wings and a sort of an insecty kind of look. Sharp-eyed Marvel readers will recognize who this is immediately, but we'll let the reveal kind of happen naturally during the course of the story. Uh, we have uh, the, the cover blurb, It lurks 
below. No, not it, the living colossus, no. And then there's also a, another blurb says, the start of another Tales of Asgard, super epic. So we have that to look forward to. We open up to the splash page where it says something is killing the great gods of Asgard. And we, of course, we have the credits. Story, pictures, and plot are by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends. Joe Sinnott, the man himself, did the finished art. Michael Heisler was the letterer. Mark Syrie did the coloring. And Ralph Macchio was the editor. We have a full page of Thor kneeling before Odin. We have him submitting himself before Odin. And the shadow of Odin being cast over Thor and overshadowing everything. We can't see Thor's face because he's got his head bowed. And the caption says, After defending the planet Earth from quicksand and the new executioner, the mighty Thor is abruptly summoned to Asgard, where he faces the terrible judgment of Odin. Hear me, O god of thunder. Thou dost stand accused of willfully ignoring an imperial command and deliberately refusing to return to Asgard. How dost thou plead? Guilty, my lord, says Thor. I did ignore thy summons, father, but mortal lives were in danger, and I could not... Silence! Only the weak and craven cower behind excuses. Thou art a warrior of the realm. Thy first duty, thy foremost responsibility, is to thy homeworld. What of the people of Midgard, father? Have I no obligation to them? Enough! Still thy rebellious tongue, or I shall... And Odin has another one of his dizzy spells. Thor notices this. What is it, father? What ails thee? Why hast thou suddenly grown pale? Tis only shock and disbelief at thy utter disregard for the safety and security of thy native realm. Go, leave me at once. My shoulders collapse beneath the weight of thine insolence. And he sends Thor away, and the, the vizier is kind of rushing over to help him sit down and, and rest. Why didst you not tell him the truth, my lord, says Vizier. If my son is to assume his princely duties, Vizier, he must do so out of a sense of responsibility to his people, not guilt over his father's weakened condition. And so the uh, Vizier leaves uh, Odin there behind, and we see him looking out over a very science fiction-y looking Asgard. This is, we're, we're back to the sort of uh, you know, super scientific, futuristic Asgard that, that we get during the uh, Lee Kirby era and the you know John B. Sema era, and yeah, but but not it, it's nothing like what Simonson would have done. I mean, this is this is super futuristic, and it says here uh, moments later as the Grand Vizier takes leave of his liege lord, uh, he, he it looks like he's on some kind of flying platform kind of thing, like yeah, like a Jetsons kind of thing almost. Anyway, he's thinking to himself. Odin grows weaker with each passing moment. If he is ever to regain his strength and power, he must undergo his fateful Odin sleep. But in his current state, such a sleep could last for many years. Asgard was recently devastated by invading armies. Yggdrasil, the tree of life, still stands, and the city rebuilds. But the danger hath not yet passed. No longer anchored to the mortal realm, we are drifting without direction across the dimensional seas. What new menaces await us? What new monsters haunt these terrible depths? Asgard must not be left unprotected in Odin's absence. Father and son must come to terms if the Golden Realm is to endure. And during all this, we, we see 
uh, you know, the Asgard is floating through Kirby's space and you know, there's all these exploding planets and Kirby crackle and all this. Uh, it's all very impressive. And we shift scenes to elsewhere in Asgard where we have a couple of guards coming upon a grisly scene. The couple of guards find a, uh, apparently a dead body. That piercing scream came from this alley. "'Tis Galon of the city guard. I recognize him by his armor. Behold, his very life force seemed to have been sucked from his body, and we see it looks almost mummified and, and dried up and into a husk. He is the fifth victim found in this state. Galon was a noble fighter, a true warrior born. Who could have done this to him? What manner of unmanly filth kills in such a hideous fashion? And as he says that, we see a silhouette, the bat-winged silhouette of the guy we saw on the cover looming over him, and we see a big bat-like wing flapping, and um, the, the guy, one of the, the first guards says, Methinks the answer is behind you, coming out of the shadows. By Heimdall's horn, what? And ah, as uh, the bat-winged character swoops over him. And we shift scenes, and we're back on Earth and back to the construction site where we have uh, a bruiser, Benhurst, or whatever his name was, and they're on the construction site, and the police are taking Benhurst away, and we see that the, you know, the supporting cast here, Kevin and Eric Masterson, and also uh, the, the Italian guy, Sapristi, uh, sitting here. Move it, Benhurst, you solo wait. What's the story, Sapristi? How did this lunkhead shred a straitjacket and escape a holding cell? Wish I could tell you, Detective Stone. All I know is that he popped out of nowhere, swinging his very serious battle axe. Would have killed us all if Thor hadn't swapped punches with him. All right, so where's Thor? Maybe he can answer my questions. Uh, he vanished in a flash of light and thunder. Say what? And, and uh, Eric Masterson notices Kevin off uh, sulking elsewhere on the uh, construction site. Kevin, of course, still wearing his uh, Thor helmet and carrying his little fake Thor hammer. Hey, Kevin, you okay, says Eric. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just worried about Thor, Dad. He got zapped completely, wiped out of existence, as if he'd never been. And that booming voice said he wasn't ever coming back. Don't sweat it, kid. That old thunder god ain't anyone's patsy. No matter what they might throw at him, no matter how the odds stack against him, he'll find a way to come back to us. He always does. And we shift back to Asgard, and we are in a party, and Thor is here, and we also have the Warriors 3, among others. Lots of uh, people hanging around. And Fandral, of course, is in full party mode here, and he's saying uh, to Thor, Unknit that contemplative brow, my friend. Forget thy scowling sire for the moment and make merry. Life should be lived, not observed. Good advice, Fandral, says Thor. What do you suggest I do? Well, the wine is cold and delicious, and there be other delights present which are noted for their warmth. And he's talking, of course, about these beautiful women who are around him. And uh, we see uh, Volstagg's guzzling down the wine. Thandral should beware the dangers of chasing women, says Volstagg. His luck may run out some day, and he might accidentally catch one. Aye, and end up as happily married as thee. Smile, Hogan. Smile so that all will realize that thou dost speak in jest. I am smiling, Volstagg. 
and a uh, white-haired woman wearing purple miniskirt and not looking very Asgardian, but I must say, but, but comes up to Thor from behind and she says, And what does the prince of Asgard see when he gazes the heavens? Does he hear the fleeting laughter of mortal children? Or does he walk in his heart upon the distant hills of Midgard? Thou art an immortal, a prince of the realm born to a life of unending revelry and thrilling combat. Why dost thou carry the weight of that poor mortal's fear upon thy noble brow, when Asgard has so much to offer? Aye, says Thor, but so do the mortals. How so, she says. Their lights shine so briefly. They have barely begun to blaze before they are extinguished. Their glory lies in their very transience, says Thor. Every second is precious to them. Every moment must be lived to the fullest, for it can never be recaptured. Like this gentle flower, it is the nature of mortal man to grow, to strive for perfection. I may have to enter here that they're in a flower garden, and Thor is uh, uh, handling all these, uh, there's like roses and chrysanthemums and ferns, and yeah, basically, he's playing with the plants here. And tis my duty and desire to aid him in this endless struggle against those sinister forces who would suffocate his progress. And this goddess, who is unnamed, says, Ha! Thy time could be spent in more pleasurable pursuits, my prince. And she goes off. He says, Tis true, but the god of thunder has already chosen which paths he'll walk. I trust that he will not walk them alone, says this uh, goddess. As do I, thinks Thor to himself. And he notices Balder over on a balcony, just kind of staring off in, into space on his own. Why is Balder standing by himself, thinks Thor. Is something troubling the noblest as guardian of us all? And um, we shift scenes once again to another part of Asgard for a couple of panels. And we have here, says elsewhere at that very moment, a young goddess races through the streets. She is to be married within a fortnight. Her face glows with hope and happiness and her heart overflows with love. But alas, her future is destined to be filled with horror and an infinity of pain. And we see the bat bug guy kind of swooping down from behind and leaving a kind of a, I wouldn't say Batman-like shadow, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of Batman, uh, swooping down on her. And we're back with Thor and uh, Balder. And what does Balder the Brave see when he gazes to the heavens, says Thor? My lord, says Balder, forgive me, noble one, tis but a private jest. Why dost thou brood while all around thee others make merry? And notice this is kind of a very clever storytelling device. This is what, what Fandral was doing to Thor earlier in the issue. So you've, you've got kind of a mirror image of that here in this scene. I have much to consider, my friend, says Balder. Asgard was near devastated while I was recently in command. The fault was not thine, gentle one, says Thor. Let us fill a pair of flagons and... And there's a... Arg! Uh, coming down from beyond. What in the name of Odin? Swiftly, my brother, says Thor. We must find the author of that piercing scream and the cause of such unrelenting pain and horror. Methinks the flashing blade of Fandral shall soon sing a mournful tune. And yeah, the warriors three and Balder and some of the other people are kind of leaping into action. And we shift scenes to uh, another street and we have the uh, same goddess who... Was talking to Thor earlier, and she's with another goddess uh, who has kind of Joan Jett kind of punk look about her, and then a guy who looks like yeah James Taylor from the seventies or something. <laughs> anyway, the three of them are kind of uh, going through a darkened street, so we know kind of what's going to happen here. And the Joan Jett 
girls like, what was that sound? It was only the wind, nothing more. Milady, no reason did thou give for our hasty departure from the feast. Could thy conversation with the Odin son be the cause? And we see uh, the evil creature kind of working behind them and getting ready to pounce. And the guy is saying, uh, Ah, I see it now. Overwhelmed by thy haunting beauty, he proposed. But thou refused and shattered all of his. And there's a giant thwack from behind. And it, of course, is uh, the bat-like character that we've been seeing. And the, the goddess is like, Who? What are you? I'm death. Your death, says the character. And there's the Eog coming. Uh, and um, at this point, uh, the Warriors 3 and Thor are kind of leaping forth. Actually, it's just Baldur, Volstagg, and Thor. And Baldur's like, another scream. It came from yon alley, says Thor. And they come across two of the three of the goddesses. I think it's the Joan Jett goddess and then the James Taylor guy. Baldur's like, are they dead, my lord? Aye, says Thor. And whatever attacked them struck swiftly and without mercy. No time had they to even draw their swords. Look, behold, a discarded medallion and the torn remnants of a cloak, says Volstagg. They seem to lead toward Thor. Methinks our villain fled down here, a crevice between the buildings. And so they have a place to go investigate. And the uh, gap is too small for Volstagg to, uh, to fit down. <laughs> and Thor says... "'Tis too narrow for thy vast girth, Volstagg. "'Alert the city guard. "'Tell them what we've learned.' "'At once, my lord,' says Volstagg, and he goes off. "'Come, Baldur,' says Thor. "'We must needs follow the shadowy passageway.' "'And they go through the shadowy passageway, "'and they end up in a tunnel, "'much like the one on the cover, "'and it sort of has a green glow "'to match the green little pod thing "'that burrowed into the, into the ground of Asgard "'in the last issue.' It leads down, noble prince, says Baldur, down into the dark, twisting tunnels which lie beneath our fair city. We must hurry, Baldur, says Thor. Another life may be at stake. And everything from this point is infused in the sort of green glow, sort of green kryptonite kind of glow that we're used to seeing in occasional comics. So the two of them are going through the tunnels. I recognize the medallion which Volstagg found, says Thor. It belonged to a young goddess that I met earlier. The killer must have carried her off for a reason, one which I dare not contemplate. Lead on, my friend, says Baldur. If she still lives, we shall save her. And Thor is thinking to himself, I dare not tell Baldur that I have of late begun to experience sudden headaches and dizzy spells, momentary seizures when I am weak and helpless. If one should strike now, could our unknown foe be a rock troll, says Baldur. They have been known to stalk these caverns. Tis possible, says Thor, but I think not. Wait. What is that strangely shaped artifact? And they find a big purple blobby cocoon sort of thing. I, I do not know, says Balder, but it looks like some kind of monstrous cocoon. What manner of creature did it release upon our unsuspecting world? Thor, turn thine eyes to the right, says Balder. What do you see, Balder? What is it? Let me pass. Tis a large cavern, and hanging from its ceiling are... No, no. It cannot be, and they look down into this cavern, as a full-page spread here of Thor and Balder, and they have found the missing gods and goddesses, and they're hanging upside down from these gloopy cocoon things, and you can see inside through like these clear, gloppy windows, 
so they're, whoever is doing this is storing these uh, gods and goddesses for later. And Balder is like, what in the name of madness? And they can see that uh, some of them are still alive and moving around inside the cocoon. And Thor finds the, uh, the goddess that he talked to earlier, and she's going, help me, please help me. And Thor's like, the goddess. And they rip the cocoon apart and let, let her free. And she kind of falls down to the floor, and Thor's kind of caring for her here. And Baldur's checking out the other cocoons, and he says, the others are already dead, or worse. Who did this, m'lady, says Thor. Who? Twas a dark-winged creature. His eyes, his terrible eyes, glowed with fire and blood. Where is he, says Baldur. Where has he gone? There, behind thee, she says. His eyes are burning the night. And they turn around and look, and Baldur's like, what? And there's a giant kazak and an energy discharge coming from a, a little part of the cave. And the goddess goes, aye. So the uh, energy beam just strikes the goddess directly and uh, you know, avoids uh, Thor and, and Balder. And Thor says, that blast was meant for us, m'lady. Why didst thou? And she's like, the son of Odin must live for the flowers, the gentle flowers. And she's dead. And Thor's like, Milady, Milady, butcher, monster, cowardly slaughter of helpless women, show thyself. Show thyself and face Thor the Avenger. And Thor and Balder are kind of leaping forward. And there's another one of these energy blasts that strikes in front of Thor with a poom. And the voice says, Be silent, you egotistical, arrogant little cur. I heed the orders of no one. I am Annihilus, the living death that walks. And we see in full for the first time that it is indeed Annihilus. Uh, those of you who are fans of the Fantastic Four classic Negative Zone issues will know who this is. And I am Thor, Prince of Asgard, says Thor, champion of the just, defender of the righteous. Your petty words are wasted on me, Asgardian. I have only one interest, the complete and utter destruction of all intelligent life, all that may threaten my existence. And now that we've seen Annihilus in, uh, in his full form, we now see him fighting with Thor and Balder here. I was absorbing the life forces of your Asgardian brethren, sucking them dry of their immortal energies, adding it all to my own power. But you have disrupted my plans. Aye, and I shall put an end to them as well, thou foul, loathsome fiend, says Thor. And he whips uh, Mjolnir at, uh, at uh, Annihilus. And Annihilus has this energy field surrounding him, and the, um, the hammer's pushing against the energy field, uh, which is kind of like a force field. And we see some uh, really nice-looking Kirby crackle here as the hammer strikes. And Annihilus is like, this is impossible. Your hammer appears to be resisting the power of my invincible cosmic control rod, forcing my own energies, causing a massive feedback. And there's a big explosion. And Annihilus kind of falls down a little bit. And Baldur's like, well struck, my friend. Aye, says Thor. And Thor's thinking to himself, but methinks the battle has barely begun. A being such as Annihilus is not so easily filled. He feigns pain, biding his time. Why? Why? 
and we shift scenes and we see something is going on with, with the island of Asgard itself. And it says here, even as Thor prepares to resume the conflict, Asgard continues to drift on the celestial seas, riding the waves of interdimensional time and space until it crosses one final irrevocable dimensional barrier. And we see that it is now no longer floating in Kirby's space, but it is in this bizarre, twisted, Kirby crackle universe with these kind of weird passageways and stuff. And uh, Balder senses what's going on. Thor, did you feel it? A sudden chill, a momentary queasiness which seemed to shudder through our entire world. Aye, says Thor. But what could have caused such an unseemly disorientation? Do you not know, says Annihilus, can you not guess the horrible, oppressive truth? The game is over, and Annihilus has won. Asgard has fallen into the negative zone. Annihilus is home, and his power is reborn. And he blasts Thor and Balder with his uh, cosmic control rod, knocking them back with a scream and vaporizing the rocks that they're standing on. And we have uh, Thor being thrown back and being buried under rocks. And uh, Nihilus is talking during all of this. I did not choose your world at random, my friend. I had heard of Asgard and its race of immortals and learned that it was drifting toward my own dimension. I knew that I had to act, for I can only protect my own immortal existence by crushing my enemies. And all who live are my enemies, because they may one day covet my power. And Thor's covered up with rocks, and Baldur's there trying to uncover him. He's like, my lord, Thor! And he's thinking, if the mighty son of Odin hath fallen before an eyeless, what can even Baldur do? And he then uh, realizes he can fight. Aye, fight unto death. Thou art mad, insect. Truly and totally insane, says Baldur if thou dost truly believe that thou canst exterminate all who live. Ah, but I have a plan. I intend to absorb the life force of the most powerful immortal of all, the heart and soul of Asgard itself. If Annihilus is to triumph, Odin must die. And that is the end of the main story. Till next time. But we do have a Tales of Asgard back up to continue with. So uh, we will shift on to the Tales of Asgard. And we have a very sloppy looking paste up job here and some badly lettered <laughs> captions here. Oh, dear. Very, very stark shift in the way that the, uh, the look of the story here. But anyway, uh, it says Stan Lee presents Tales of Asgard, home of the mighty Norse gods, starring Thor and the Warriors Three. The story is called Ulag, the Grand Enchanter. And we have the credits for this story. Tom DeFalco was the writer. Tony DeZuniga was the illustrator. Tony DeZuniga being far well known uh, as, as an inker uh, and one that we'll be seeing in Thor episodes in the future. Michael Heisler is the letterer. Michael Rockwitz was the colorist. And Ralph Macchio was the editor. We have a splash page here where Thor is fighting some armored dudes and uh, I don't know if this is like a bar fight or what, but uh, yeah, we have Fandral here, and it uh, looks like, is that Hogan? It could be Hogan, I'm not really sure. Anyway, they're fighting um, 
these guys and they're not like this super futuristic looking thing. Though we're led to believe here that it's a bar fight. The caption says, In a tavern on the outskirts of fabled Asgard, the son of Odin and his faithful companions enjoy a quiet evening in their own unique fashion. And it is a very super futuristic looking building, which is apparently a bar. And we are having a bar brawl in this uh, place that doesn't look much like a bar. Anyway, uh, Thor's here and Hogan and Fandral. Mad are these knaves to trade blows with Asgard's finest as Thor's. He punches armored dudes aside. Tis all Fandral's fault, my prince. Not so, Hogan, says Fandral. How was I to know that the barmaid and her three sisters were married to the tavern's four owners? And we see uh, Volstagg and he's uh, uh, kind of creeping around. While my comrades battle in the main chamber, Volstagg, the eagle of Asgard, shall fly to the rear and seek the cowards who may be lurking in this storeroom. And he's uh, seeing uh, all the, you know, the casks back here. Yon wine casks could easily conceal a horde of enemies. Even I am daunted by the enormity of the task I must now undertake. But duty demands that I thoroughly search each one. And he uh, taps a, a, a keg and he's drinking uh, wine out of it. And uh, it says here, even as the lumbering warrior grimly begins his awesome chore, the battle continues in the outer chamber. And again, they're... It's like a steel floor, super futuristic bar. It doesn't look like anything like a bar, but anyway. Uh, so the fight continues on and uh, says, a, uh, until a noble voice, one which commands instant obedience, suddenly rings out. Enough, let the fighting cease, says the voice. And it is Balder, and he's wearing a armor very unlike anything he normally wears. And uh, Thor says, "'Tis Balder the Brave." There were only 50 of them, my friend, says Thor. Barely enough for an amusing respite. This is no time for levity, my lord. I bring thee an urgent summons from thy royal sire. And this does not look like Balder. It, this guy looks like Ernest Borgnine or something. He's, he's got a, uh, a very um, kind of grimacy face. And he, yeah, it doesn't look anything like Balder. I bring thee an urgent summons from thy royal sire. We shall go at once, says Thor. And he's thinking to himself, my heart doth race for a mission which may await us. Wait, one of our numbers missing, says Thor. Where is Volstagg? And they find Volstagg in the back, and he's sort of drunk and half-passed out here. And Volstagg is like, Here, fear not, my prince. There be no enemies hiding within. And it says here, A short while later, the valiant warriors enter the great hall of Asgard and approach the royal presence of he who is the power, the word, and the way, Odin the All-Wise. Seek thee, Ulog, the great enchanter in the land of always night, says Odin. He must perform a sacred service. And sends the uh, four of them away. And uh, they, they get on horses and they leave and says, and so barely has the sun risen on the following morn when Thor and his noble companions begin their fateful quest. Um, it says the sun is ridden, but the art shows that it's really, really dark and it's nighttime. But anyway, they go. Um, it says many hours later, the grim quartet enters the dismal, mysterious land known as Always Night. Ah, that's why it's dark. And then... Uh, Thor is riding his horse through and the ground starts to uh, move around and rocks and stuff are being thrown around. Thor has to think uh, the obvious to himself. 
The ground beneath us has suddenly begun to quiver and shake. Rocks and debris are now erupting toward us. It is as if the land itself were attacking us. And he's riding, trying to ride through on the horse. The horse is dodging the uh, various boulders and stuff flying around. Uh, apparently not successfully, because it says here, Unable to withstand the savage barrage, Thor's horse stumbles and falls, throwing the god of thunder to the ground. And Thor is on the ground, and uh, his hammer kind of falls a little ways away from him. And he says, because he has to speak the obvious all the time, The fall separated me from my enchanted hammer. I must regain it if I am to prevail. And he uh, pulls the hammer to himself, he you know, summons it to himself, and grabs it. And Thor is saying, uh, If the living earth has become mine enemy, it shall feel my wrath. And he takes the hammer and he smashes the ground with a giant kaboom. And um, you see his dead horse and the rocks are kind of flying around. And, and he's, he's whipping his hammer around him, as we often see. And he says, For honor and Asgard do I strike. This irresistible windstorm shall sweep away all the debris so we can see the true face of our attacker. And he's whipping the rocks around and the warriors three are kind of hiding in the background here. And uh, he manages to, I guess, swoop the, the debris away. And it says, but no sooner is the deed done than a blinding light suddenly pierces the heavens as a booming voice sings out, Flee this land or your lives are forfeit. And Thor says, uh, We carry a message for Ulag the Grand Enchanter. Odin the Allfather bids him to complete his sacred task. Bah! Ulog heeds not the words of fleas. Leave at once. No, says Thor, we will not fail. There is only one penalty for such defiance. Death. And we see a reaction from the warriors three and Thor. They look shocked. And that is the end of part one. And the end of Thor number 404. So we'll be talking all about this issue right after this message from one of our friends. How Star Wars is it? Hi, I'm Josiah. And I'm Mike. And we're the host of How How Star Wars Wars Is It? It's a podcast where we rate and review things like movies. But not of how good or bad they are. Yeah, no, how Star Wars they are. And what does that mean, you might ask? It's a little something like this. If Star Wars was Everybody Loves Raymond, this is King of Queens. If Chris Farley was still around. Yeah, Kevin James wouldn't exist. I have a game. It is called Sebulba or Bulbasaur. Yeah, when he was a Palpatine. Do we have like an animated show that we could pitch? The Emperor and his Palpatine. Count Dooku is around his age, plus or minus a decade. Maybe like Count Dooku. That's really funny. (laughs) If that sounded good, or Star Wars, then check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts at How Star Wars Is It? And like we always say, may May the the fourth be with you. And we're back with a little bit of commentary. For once, I'm going to start with the main story here, because I think that this is the, the stronger part of, of our issue this time. So uh, I, I'm liking it. I, I think this is an interesting idea. Uh, we have the, you know, the return of Annihilus, which, of course, anybody would have known from the cover. I mean, Annihilus is one of those uh, classic Kirby characters who is very distinctive in his appearance. And I, I, I'm guessing that only a very new reader would not have known who Annihilus was at this point. Um, Though I don't know how often Annihilus had appeared at this point uh, in the Marvel Universe other than in Fantastic Four comics. But it is interesting, this whole idea of 
of Asgard kind of floating through Kirby's space and being sucked into the negative zone. They don't really explain much about it. Maybe they will in future issues. I'm not really sure. Or you could argue maybe that Annihilus was guiding it there using his cosmic control rod. That would actually be a, a more rational explanation than it kind of just going there on its own. Um, so I, I think that that makes sense in a certain way. Can't say I like the coloring on this. It, the, the coloring job would, would not have made me pick up this issue if I were just seeing it on the rack because um, it is very muted and kind of muddy and kind of doesn't look that good. Um, by and large, though, we have some uh, really good artwork inside. Uh, obviously, Sinnott was doing finishes on uh, you know, Ron Friend's uh, layouts, and Friend's uh, was not doing full pencils at this point. Um, you can see a lot of Sinnott in it, and you know, Sinnott's very distinctive brushwork and making everything look really good. Um, artwork, you know, like I said, it is pretty good overall. Can't really complain about it. I think that the... Uh, the kind of cloak and dagger, kind of Batman kind of look to the uh, you know, Nihilus attacks on these gods. is It's an interesting look. I kind of wonder, though, if Nihilus is really that impressive when compared to Norse gods. That the power level seems to be, you know, of a, I mean, compared to, I could see him doing this with humans and, and even superhumans without a lot of problem. But I don't know that Nihilus would have been able to overpower groups of Norse gods as he does in this issue given that he's I believe a mortal being and even though he has some power with his cosmic control rods is he really the kind of being that can over overwhelm groups of gods I don't know obviously these are all gods who have no name so maybe they're ineffectual when you compare it with uh, with other Norse gods who do have names um, or perhaps they're the Marvel Cinematic Universe as guardians who kind of are like whiny children who kind of run and, and scream and try to get away from everything. But anyway, uh, I do like the idea, though, and, and it's interesting, and we'll see where it goes in the next couple of issues. Um, the Earth stuff, eh, not very interesting. Uh, we're kind of putting a cap on that subplot for now, uh, leaving, uh, you know, Sapristi and and the Masterson's kind of there to do their thing. Uh, once again, uh, Kevin Masterson looks like a stunted dwarf. Um, again, it's hard to draw children. All right, uh, let's move on to the uh, Tales of Asgard uh, story. I'm not as impressed with this one, and it's just kind of mainly because it's it's very generic. There's you, you've got some kind of character bits here. It, it almost seems like a tryout in, in its own right. Dezunica, not a brilliant artist. And I'm guessing that, that this was sort of a tryout, you know, the Dezunica thing. Okay, well, instead of inking, maybe I can draw an issue or, or draw a, a, a story over, over several issues. And Dezunica is um, one of these uh, Filipino artists who they, they don't really have styles that comport well with with American comics. Um, I, I can think of a few that do, but a lot of these guys have really stylized uh, artwork. And Dezuniga, having worked so much with John Buscema as an inker, his style owes a lot to Buscema. But he doesn't have a instinctual grasp of anatomy, and, and per particularly with perspective. The perspective 
in, in, these, in these pages is almost non-existent, as are the backgrounds. So we have this very plain, supposed to be a bar room, but you don't really see anything that makes it a bar room. It could be a warehouse. It could be a movie theater. It could be anything. Because all you see are blank metal walls, shiny metal floors, no bar, no tables, no chairs, nothing. It's just like, okay, well, we're fighting in a box except for Volstagg in the back room where there are inexplicably casks of wine. Um, but we don't see anybody else in here except for him. So there you go. Um, Odin's throne room, likewise. It's just a chair in a blank space. So again, you know, it, the, the, the artwork is lacking. The story, well, it's also kind of lacking. It, we'll, we'll find out where it goes. Maybe... Maybe it'll get more interesting as we go, but I think my main criticism here is is the art. Um, the, there's a lot of, of problems with the characters being in proportion. We have a, a panel here of Thor on page 22, where Thor has an enormous head uh, in comparison to the rest of him. The horse is well drawn, I have to say, and I can see some uh, some stylistic. Um, elements here in, in the layouts and so forth that remind me of, of other Filipino artists such as Rudy Nebres. And, and uh, you know, it, so you do see that there's, there is some, some skill involved here. I mean, it, I wouldn't say that, that De Zuniga is a, an awful artist, but I don't think that his style of what he's doing here is really suited to the story. Maybe that's really what I'm trying to say here. I'm not a big fan of Dezuniga's inking uh, either, to be honest. He, he does these dark circles under everybody's eyes, and it, 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 just, it doesn't appeal to me. But uh, yeah, so far I'm not, be, not impressed by this uh, three-part Tales of Asgard thing, but we'll find out more next time. And uh, with that, that's about all I have to say. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us over on the Facebook. Come join us over on the Facebook group and join the conversations over there. And I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, back to the Coronaville. Not so bad here now, so I hope everybody is staying safe out there. And we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.